How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Welcome to EMS World Podcast, live from the Expo Floor 2022. We are coming to you from beautiful Orlando, Florida, and we have a fantastic podcast series set up this year with some of the greatest minds in the industry. Fresh, compelling, and thought-provoking topics are what we are seeking this week, and in this episode, we will discuss something that hits on all of those things for sure. Analgesia in the pre-hospital setting is fairly standard. You're in pain, we can take care of that for you. This has always been straightforward practice for advanced EMS providers. Times are changing, however, and so are the mechanisms in which we treat our patients. With us today to discuss how we are changing the way we deliver pain management is Dr. Casey Patrick and Mr. Kevin Crocker. Dr. Patrick is an all-star in the industry. He serves as the medical director for Harris County ESD 11 Mobile Healthcare, as well as the assistant medical director for the Montgomery Hospital District EMS service in the greater Houston area. Kevin Crocker is a paramedic and serves as the chief of quality and process improvement at Montgomery County Hospital District, and according to Dr. Patrick, is the real star when it comes to IV APAP. Gentlemen, delighted to have you here today. Welcome to the expo floor. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate the invite, Mike. Excited about it. So, guys, this is such an interesting topic, IV APAP, and how we are changing pain management in the pre-hospital field. First and foremost, for the listeners, maybe explain a little bit what IV APAP actually is. So I'm not going to try to give you the chemical name. Please don't. Yeah, a- please APAP don't. is a commonly used abbreviation for Tylenol or acetaminophen. So we've used... IV acetaminophen or IV Tylenol at MCHD EMS for about four or five years or so. And over that time, with the ev- evolution of multimodal pain control and multimodal analgesia and EMS, it's developed into a pretty interesting story within our service and how we approach analgesia in a stepwise fashion. And over this time, we've answered some questions, we've, we've cleared some hurdles, and so later today, here at Expo, we're given an hour discussion on, on our process and our pathway that we've taken. We feel like there's a lot for other services to learn and potentially steal from sure, this. And yeah. that, that's the goal in general. But some of this has been trial and error, uh, but some of this is data-driven. Uh, there's some misconceptions. We'll get to those a little bit uh, later in the talk. But we feel like there's a, a really good story to tell here that's patient beneficial in the end for our pain patients in EMS. Doc, following up on that, you mentioned something uh, prior to coming on, and that was that, you know, pain is basically, you know, your fifth vital sign. Um, And so with respect to your agency, which you oversee, in, in the toolbox that they have as far as pain management, what are some of the mechanisms that they're utilizing, you know, prior to this, this APAC? Yeah, so we really can't talk about, and we probably learned this a little bit by error and trial, in that our teaching of pharmacology and analgesia classically is we have fentanyl, for example, as our 
is our opiate analgesic. So, you know, some service may have morphine, some may have hydromorphone, but I would argue that most, most larger services out there carry a narcotic. And we teach morphine pharmacology or hydromorphone pharmacology, or for us at MCHD, fentanyl pharmacology. We teach dosing, indications, contraindications, almost in a, in a vacuum, um, which we realize that that's important, but when we're really out there taking care of patients, when I take care of patients in the emergency department, I have to think about that patient in context of their entire picture, their age, their comorbidities, their vital signs. Why are they having pain? Traumatic, non-traumatic? What else is going on with the patient? So to just learn your pharmacologic agents in vacuums one by one is probably not the best way to learn it, at least in a practical sense. So we've changed our teaching and are currently changing our teaching to, to address this in more of a ladder or stepwise fashion. In other words, what do you have at your disposal? Learn those individual drugs, but then broaden back out to the patient and say, how does this patient fit within the toolbox that you have? So at MCHD, we have fentanyl as our opiate. We chose that for fairly simple reasons. It, less histamine release, so you get less of the itching that you get with morphine or hydromorphone, shorter acting. So if you do get respiratory or mental status side effects, hypotensive side effects, they're going to be shorter acting, shorter lasting. Uh, we have um, ketamine as an analgesic at MCHD. There's been a huge upswell and huge momentum for ketamine as an analgesic in both the EMS and the emergency department setting over the last 10 years. It really has a uh, really special and prominent niche, especially you know in the trauma patient, uh, the hypotensive trauma patient. Ketamine is a real go-to there. It's a bit, of a, a bit of a Swiss army knife. We can use it for chemical restraint. We can use it for induction for airway management. We can use it for analgesia, depending on where we pick uh, the dosing. We have uh, Ketorolac or Tordal at MCHD, our IV anti-inflammatory, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. There's been some pretty prominent, pretty interesting developments with Ketorolac dosing over the past 10 years. I know that when I trained in emergency medicine, I was a resident about 15, almost 20 years ago now. We dosed uh, Tordal pretty prominently, 30 milligrams IV, 60 milligrams IM. Mm -hmm. That's probably what's on the books for a lot of EMS protocols out there, but there's some really solid data now that says at 10 milligram, 15 milligram IV dose, you get the same analgesia as you do at a, at a 30 milligram IV dose. All you get at 30 milligram IV is increased side effects and increased downside. So fentanyl, Tordal or Ketorolac, ketamine, we have nitrous oxide, we have the Nitronox uh, device on our trucks which really is underutilized. If you ever go in a pediatric dental office, I have three children and really didn't train with nitrous oxide in residency. But as my kids went to the dentist, they would have dental procedures and there would be a row of kids with the little pig mask. Nitrous, yep. nitrous mask on. Yep. And I always thought this was a procedural sedation type situation with close monitoring needed and there wouldn't be a, a sat monitor or an entitled monitor in sight. And I asked the peds dentist, I mean, do you ever have problems with this? And he's like, no. <laughs> and so uh, at the same time I was training and working with a, uh, an older emergency medicine doc and he was really a huge nitrous oxide proponent. And so I, 
kind of learned from from a two-prong approach there that nitrous in in certain patients is very very useful uh, both in the emergency department and ems the downside with nitrous is is expense it, it's not cheap per dose it's the most expensive of the analgesic options we have at MCHD. And then lastly, we plugged in acetaminophen or Tylenol, and we have acetaminophen in both IV dosing and oral dosing. So that's that's our, our pain management toolbox. It's probably worth saying now that that toolbox includes pharmacology, but it also includes some basic steps. Don't forget, even if you don't have any medications, ice, positioning, splinting are vital for pain control and analgesia, both in the in the field and austere environments, if you're on a picnic or sure. on a camp out or a hike, how you position it, how you how you splint it, if you can get some ice on there quickly, those are, are very effective analgesics as well, even if you don't if you're, you know, an EMT and you're in a situation where those are medicines that you can't give, you can still do a lot for pain control with just positioning ice and, and splinting. You talk about this toolbox and, and I think that everybody's gonna be familiar in a sense that um, the, the medications that you, you know, described, everybody's pretty familiar with it. But the IV Tylenol, you know, and, and I'm going to come back to you on this, Doc. The IV Tylenol is new. And maybe uh, it's not as sexy, right, as what people perceive pain management should be pre-hospitally. Why did you go towards this? What was the reason to go towards this? For us, really, we wanted to have a non-opiate option. Yeah, we could talk about the opiate epidemic and the reasons behind that. You mentioned pain is the fifth vital sign. You know, there's a lot of negative connotation with that development as far as the governmental and, and CMS push to control pain and all pain needs to be to zero and that sort of swing that happened to the pendulum in the late 90s, you know, 25 years or so ago now. But there is a flip side to that, and that is that if you look at any objective measurement in EMS or in the emergency department setting, we undertreat pain. If you move into more marginalized populations, pediatrics, for example, uh, you look at racial disparities, for example, we really undertreat pain. So what we wanted was to try to address those disparities and address those shortcomings in our own system. We saw they existed. Uh, you know, can we, can we use some other pharmacology to treat pain, but take the opiate piece out of there? Uh, with IV Tylenol as well, we, the way we use it in our protocol, and Kevin will speak to that in, in a second, but it's, it has multi-purpose use. We also use it for fever and sepsis. So there are certain patients we feel like it is the best choice and potentially the best choice first line. So we, we brought it into the system with a mindfulness that, hey, everything doesn't need an opiate. There are some patients who this may be the best fit for, if we can introduce it and do it safely and use it for multiple purposes, potentially even in the same patient, that's a win-win, maybe win-win-win for our patients and for our medics. For sure. Now, the rollout, which we talk about, um, you know, in any type of EMS agency, whether you're, you know, looking to implement, um, you know, something on the operation side, something on the clinical side, the rollout is the most important part. And everybody needs a Kevin Crocker. Is what, is what you told me, Doc. So Kevin is the brainchild behind this. And Kev, I'm, I'm curious, how does the IV APAP protocol work in your system? Sure, so first off, Dr. Patrick gives me way too much credit. <laughs> uh, this is a, a mutual partnership and we've 
made this journey together. So, okay. uh, so he for got us, the diplomatic part out there. <laughs> yep. Had to, sorry. Had to, I get uh, it. Yeah, so we, I guess we rolled it out about five years ago. Um, for us, we introduced it as a, just another pain management option. Um, so we do have a lot of pain management options on the table. Uh, can I use your golf club analogy? Is now a good time for that? So perfect. Uh, this is a new analogy we're, we're trying out. So we talk about toolbox, toolbox a lot. Uh, Dr. Patrick invented the golf club analogy. We're going to use it at our talk this afternoon. Um, so you have your golf bag and you have drivers and pitching wedges and three irons and putters. Uh, they're all different tools, right? They're, it's a different tool depending on the, the shot you're going to take. And that's kind of how we teach our, our pain management. Uh, every medicine that we administer for pain management is a different, it's a different club, right? So if you have the big femur fracture, the 80-year-old the who fell out of bed, IV Tylenol, Toradol is probably not the right choice for that patient. They need a driver. They have severe pain. So we kind of, we don't have a set protocol where we say give this patient this type of medication. It's more selective up to the, the medics, but we give them education based off, you know, levels of pain of, of what they should try to treat. So if you have severe pain, that's going to be more of an opiate-based pain management. Uh, we use our IV Tylenol more for our, our abdominal pains, our back pains, uh, the minor twists and breaks, things like that. Uh, we give it a one gram over 15 minutes for the adults, and it's 15 milligrams per kilogram over 15 minutes for our pediatric patients. And like you talked about earlier, we do use it for our sepsis patients too. Uh, I think we probably use it more for sepsis than we do for pain, which was kind of a big surprise for us when we rolled it out. We thought we would definitely use more you know, for the pain management side over the sepsis, but uh, we actually give a little bit more for sepsis than pain management. Uh, same dose, uh, and I think it's a it's a key player because a lot of those septic patients, you know, they're in the nursing home, they're altered, they're not able to to take PO medication. So it's been a, a really good asset for some of the fever management in, in that population as well. Interesting. Um, what does the data show on this? Obviously, you, you know, the, being in front, giving the medication, seeing it uh, firsthand, the effects are important. But then you always have the guy in the back or the girl in the back that has to do the data. They have to dissect it. What does the data show? How well is it working? Yeah, so we actually have a really a really good data team in MCHD. So here's a data warning for anybody who doesn't like data. Okay. We're going to talk numbers for just a second. <laughs> um, the numbers I have in front of me, so we, I think everybody could agree that IV Tylenol is not uh, fentanyl or an opiate, right? Like, it's not really fair to compare those two medications. Uh, that's an apples and orange comparison. Uh, so, like Dr. Patrick said, we do use Toradol in our service as well. So we have uh, we compared IV Tylenol versus IV Toradol uh, for pain management. Uh, I think that's probably a pretty fair comparison. Most people already have Toradol in their service, so they're familiar with it, um, and we would kind of expect similar results or. Uh, maybe a, maybe a little favorable one way or the other, but that's the data we we looked at. We're actually looking at uh, we're doing a NAMSP presentation abstract in January, uh, and we're working through the peer review process now. So this is preliminary data. Uh, we haven't run it through the statistical analysis yet, uh, but you guys are getting a, just a quick sneak peek behind the curtain. Nice. Uh, so for us, uh, the data set has 850 Tylenol patients and just under 1,400 Toradol patients. So it's a I think it was over a course of two years, so a pretty big data set. Um, as far as you know, age and uh, gender, uh, both in the 50s for the median age range with a slight female prominence, right around 60% of the patients being female. Uh, and then we looked at a couple key things uh, as far as outcome. So uh, in each group, the first median pain score uh, was eight uh, for both the Tylenol and the Toradol. And then we looked at the, the last median pain score for each group, and it was five for both. So equal uh, median pain numbers for both groups of patients. 
And then the last thing we kind of looked at was the, there's some literature out there about pain, pain management reduction, and there's a, a measure called meaningful pain reduction, which is two points or more uh, in the 10-point scale. Uh, and they would say that's meaningful reduction. Uh, and in our data set, 63% uh, of patients who got Tylenol had meaningful reduction, and 71% of the Tordol patients had meaningful reduction. Uh, so for us, we would, you know, with our experience and using it in our service, and I, I don't know if we talked about contraindications or, you know, some of the contraindications with, you know, Tordol is, you know, the kidney disease, you get some uh, GI symptoms with it. Uh, really, if they're actively hemorrhaging, you don't want to give Tordol uh, due to some of the clotting issues. So uh, when, you, when you take in the contraindications associated with Tordol, you don't have those with Tylenol. Uh, there are some liver concerns, but uh, it's kind of minor. Uh, we think it's really an equivalent medication to Tordol that absolutely has a place in that uh, golf bag. Yeah, and it's and it's obviously on the same level as Tordol, and it's a safer option, so why wouldn't they? Doc, talk to the listener and, and to me a little bit about how the ER docs are feeling about this and the, and the stigma that kind of goes along with this. Well, and stigma may not be the right word, just because we're fairly pro IV Tylenol and MCHD, we felt a little bit of negative connotation out there in the FOMED world. Some of the, even some of the titles of some of the most recent journal articles using IV Tylenol and some of the comparators, we feel like maybe haven't been fair to, to IV Tylenol. We have no conflicts of interest here. We don't have any uh, association or any affiliation with IV Tylenol, just, just to be really clear, n- neither Kevin <laughs> or I or anybody at MCHD. But first and foremost, if you talk to folks about the negatives, the first thing they'll always bring up is cost. Okay. Uh, IV Tylenol was um, not generic right. up until about a year ago. Okay. So when we first started using IV Tylenol, we had cost per dose at about $40, $45 a dose, which if you compare to a couple dollars for Tordal or fentanyl, I can totally understand why your service might say, hey, I don't care how good that medicine is, that's, that's too expensive. Right. But generic in the last year, our dose, our cost per dose now is under $10. Oh, wow. And comparable to ketamine. So from that standpoint, we feel like the cost piece is dated and probably overblown. Is it more expensive than fentanyl and Ketorolac? Yes. Is it the same as ketamine? And we feel like the ketamine wave of positive analgesia sort of feeling is there. It's probably unfair to say Tylenol is more expensive when it's the same right now as ketamine. So cost-wise, take a look back with your purchaser, with your, you know, with your vendors, it's probably cheaper than you think if you've not looked in the last 12 to 18 months. Sure, and it's progressive, it's, it's comparable, and safety, right? I mean, that's, that's where you're looking. Yeah, there's a couple of other recent studies. We talk about these in our, in our discussion this afternoon. If any of the listeners would like access to these, I'm happy to share. There's a couple ED studies that look at, conceptually, the idea of opiate sparing. In other words, if you use IV Tylenol, can you use less opiates in the emergency department? And that's... a a viable concept kudos for those authors to looking into that but i don't know that that really applies to us in ems when we're giving single dose two dose analgesia we're not taking care of those patients for an extended time period and what the study found it was a small study it found that 
using IV Tylenol did not lead to decrease or did not lead to decrease opiate use in the ED. But if you read in the fine print, it may have led to decreased opiates being prescribed at discharge. Okay. So it may have been opiate opiate sparing long term. Bottom line, it's not about trying to not use opiates ever. We believe opiates have a place. So we don't know that we really want to opiate spare. We just want to be opiate selective and opiate aware. Sure. Uh, lastly, there's a study that uh, was fairly recent in the last year or so that people have said, hey, look, see, it doesn't work very well. And it compared IV acetaminophen to IV hydromorphone or Dilaudid. And we're going to ask for a show of hands in the audience today, but mm-hmm. I believe if you ask for a show of hands from the people around us here in the expo hall, hey, what's a stronger pain medicine? What's going to be more effective, Tylenol IV or Dilaudid IV? It's probably going to be 100-0 for Dilaudid. And shockingly, not shockingly, the study showed that Dilaudid had better pain control than IV Tylenol. But devil in the details, and depending on how you want to look at it, there was a 5.5 point pain reduction with Dilaudid and a 3.3 point pain reduction with Tylenol. Mm -hmm. There was no difference in rescue opiate analgesia in either group. There was about a one in five, one in seven chance of side effects with Dilaudid, nausea, being the big one, vomiting, there was a 3% side effect rate with IV Tylenol. So I would argue that no, it may not be as good, but there again are definitely certain patients where we feel like the risk benefit ratio would really slide out in favor of IV Tylenol. We have a case that we talk about and it's a septic elderly patient with bad lower extremity cellulitis that's purulent and painful the patient's tachycardic, they're hypotensive, they're febrile, their leg hurts, that's, that's the patient's main complaint. We see that they've got signs of sepsis and they've got infection and they've got a fever. So do you want to use an opiate? Do you want to use a potential uh, you know, ketamine that could cause altered mental status? Probably not gonna use nitrous oxide in this patient. An elderly septic patient, high risk of acute kidney injury, don't want to throw Ketorolac on top of that. We feel like that patient, that specific patient, is just a poster child for IV Tylenol. Options, options, options. Typically, what does your patient, um, what does your patient present as that's going to get IV APAB? I'm assuming that this is your septic patient, like you said, correct? We use it more in sepsis yeah. than in pain. If you want to draw those out into two separate boxes, but honestly, when it comes to Acute abdominal pain with a fever, you know, leg pain and cellulitis, you know, maybe a, a groin abscess or an axillary abscess with a fever. There's a lot of conditions that can be concerned for acute infectious causes, sepsis, fever, and pain. So, honestly, a significant portion are both. Sort of a, a, a double whammy type situation. And we feel like, you know, the, the benefits of IV Tylenol are the lack of hemodynamic properties. So we're not going to drop blood pressure. We're not going to alter mentation. We're not going to alter platelet function. So from a bleeding standpoint, really, it's tailor-made for me for the elderly patients who are a little bit tenuous, for the patients who may have potential, uh, you know, a trauma patient that could be, could be bleeding. You know, Ketorolac doesn't kill the platelets for the life of the platelet. So for instance, with aspirin or Plavix, if you give somebody aspirin or Plavix, their platelet function is dead until they 
remake enough platelets to call to create a platelet plug. With Ketorolac or non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, you kill the platelets for the life of the drug that's in the system. So it's a it's a reversible inhibition. But if you figure Toradol has a four to six hour half-life and somebody has a lacerated kidney or a lacerated liver and they're going to go to the operating room, I probably don't want to get too close to affecting their platelets at all. Sure. I want them to have every bit of platelet plug and clotting cascade function they can possibly have. So again, IV Tylenol seems like a much better answer there. So there's those specific situations where we feel like it really plugs in. And those are the, the situations where we've, we've really pushed for it. Within, like Kevin said before, we don't prescribe this to in, in too of an exact manner for our medics. We like to give them the education, give them the toolbox or the golf bag, and say, go play your round or you know, go, go work on your on your woodworking piece because if you start to be too prescriptive it gets too onerous and too cumbersome sure kevin you're leading from the front with this initiative and and i'm curious what is what is the plan for the future with this where do you see this going yeah so like i said this is a pretty new data for us um we're about five years in but the data set we're looking at is about the last two years uh, so we're doing a uh, NAMSP abstract presentation. Where is it? Is it in Florida next year? Go about an hour to the west. We'll be in Tampa. We're in Tampa, Tampa next year. So uh, it'll be an abstract presentation there on this data set uh, with the ultimate goal to kind of push this towards a peer review process. Um, I think it's important whenever you're doing your research, especially novel, you know, cutting edge research and I'm not saying we're cutting edge by any means but oh, anytime you're, you're, some you're, you're doing research like this or you have uh, value to add to the the literature um, I think we should right so our, our goal is to to add this to some of the pre-hospital pain management literature uh, and push the envelope a little further um, there's not a lot of uh, literature especially pre-hospital uh, that compare that looks at IV Tylenol to start with at all uh, but especially that compares it against uh, other medications um, there was a, a recent paper, was it this year or last year? It was, I think it was last year. So the, it was in PEC, pre-hospital emergency care. It was evidence-based guidelines for pre-hospital pain management recommendations. So this is a group of experts who got together and they looked at 10 pre-hospital pain management questions and they answered those questions. So question number two in that data set was uh, looked at IV Tylenol versus an opiate-based uh, medication. Uh, and I'll read their, their exact response was, we suggest in favor of IV Tylenol over IV opi opioids alone for the initial management of moderate to severe pain in the pre-hospital setting if IV Tylenol is available, affordable, and easy to administer. And then they put a parentheses, conditional recommendation, low certainty of evidence. And there's not a lot of evidence, we're just talking about, that, that would support that statement. But when they look at the, the ancillary data that does exist, there's definitely evidence that points to IV Tylenol being a good choice. So our, our goal is to, to publish this, get it peer reviewed, and you know maybe move this recommendation up to a stronger level of evidence moving forward, or motivate you know, other people to, to take on that same project and get a bigger data set and you know push it forward. And I think that is ultimately the goal, in a sense that you, you know you are you're you're getting the wheels turning on this, and I am sure that people are going to look at this and say, hey, why aren't we doing this? And as we wrap up. You know, Doc, I'm sure that people are going to want to know where they can find out more information about this and get some more information, especially from what you guys have procured. Where can they go to find this? So if you're 
here at the conference, which if you're listening to the podcast, it's probably too late, but we're, <laughs> we're talking this afternoon at 3.30, so we'll have really a, a little longer version of this discussion, but a lot of these same points. So if anybody's interested in our slides that we use for our talk, we're happy to share. We are free open access education folks at MCHD. We had uh, not listened to us. We have the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. We're at episode 140 plus or minus, so you can listen to us talk a lot more if you're interested. Episode 117 was a pre-hospital IV Tylenol discussion. Kevin and I had a similar discussion. Today's is a little bit more evolved. We've moved forward with some of our data, and we've moved forward with some of our ideas with, with which best how to best teach this. So that's a little bit dated. Uh, if you want to contact us, we're happy to share anything that we have. Uh, Patrick at mchd-tx.org or K Crocker, C-R-O-C-K-E-R, uh, podcast at mchd-tx.org. Uh, search us wherever you watch or listen or uh, look at podcasts. We've got a, a YouTube channel out there as well. I think that episode probably is on the YouTube channel as well. But just contact us, Google search us, and we're happy to share all of our stuff, all of our data, all of our implementation pieces, the, the education parts, how we rolled it out, and happy to also share the, the road bumps and sort of the spots where we, we ran into trouble. And there were a few of those uh, that we, we haven't talked about we didn't really talk about in our talk, but maybe worth mentioning as we wrap up. IV Tylenol is stored in a bottle, pre-mixed in a bottle, as is IV nitroglycerin. We use IV nitroglycerin at Montgomery County Hospital District EMS. That's my other baby. It's a good idea to put those two bottles separate from each other in the truck. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. From right. a, a little from, teaser, yeah. From a med error yeah. standpoint. You do your own research on that one. Yep. <laughs> Gentlemen, this really was awesome, uh, extremely informative, and, and certainly a great way to kick off our Expo series. Dr. Casey Patrick, Chief Kevin Crocker, thank you for coming on with us, and we look forward to hearing more about this important initiative as it evolves further down the road. Yeah, we just want to thank EMS World Expo for having us. Thank you, Mike, for having us on. Uh, we, again, are happy to answer any questions anybody has out there, and thank you all for listening. Thank you all for coming. Gents. Thanks, Mike. I really enjoyed it. Appreciate the invite. This was great, guys. Thank you. And that concludes Episode 1 of Live from the Expo Floor 2022. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. Talk to you on the next one. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.